All right, let me, uh, let me just chat at you for a minute. Um, how many of you remember Pastor Brock and Alyssa, our youth pastors here for a decade? Uh, they're doing great. Um, Brock opened a door for me to come and speak to a group of uh, healthcare professionals. Uh, we, did a t- we did three sessions, one on attitude, one on communication, and one on trust and, the, and building teams in the marketplace and serving. It was awesome. Got to team up with Pastor Brock on that. And then the next morning, we had about 50 men coming out for a good country breakfast uh, and was able to encourage those guys and challenge those guys. We had an amazing move of God, uh, and I'm just excited because I feel the overflow today. Is that all right with everybody? I got to tell you, I got up to spend time with Jesus, and I put my headphones on that Uncle Brent and Aunt Beth got me for Christmas. Thank you, guys. I just got to say this. Whenever you make an investment in somebody else's life, like my Bible. Every time I open my Bible, I think of Coralie, and I pray for Coralie. She bought me my Bible. She wrote, she wrote in the front of my Bible, she, uh, uh, you know, love letter to her spiritual dad, you know. Every time I open my Bible, I think of Coralie. Every time I put on my noise-canceling, go-to-the-nation's headphones, I think of my sister and my brother-in-law. So I put my noise-canceling, go-to-the-nation headphones on to spend time with the Lord, and I forgot that on the way there, I was rocking out to Toby Mac, <laughs> which is no problem, but I wasn't expecting Toby Mac early in the morning. So I'm in this house all by myself, and, and Toby Mac comes on with my favorite Toby Mac song, Move. Anybody know what that? <sighs> Let me tell you what I did, and I'm glad none of you were there to watch me. He starts rocking out. I'm starting to do this like right there. I'm right. No rhythm at all, or I'm just telling you. But I, was, I had my neck going in, in motion, all right? And then I could not sit. I got up. I walked in the living room, and I'm like doing a choreographed Toby Mac dance <laughs> in the living room at like 6 o'clock in the morning. That is weird. I'm just telling you. That is weird. But you do weird things. When your heart is full of love for Jesus. And you know what? I didn't care. Because I was dancing for an audience of one. And I can't dance. But in heaven, you wait and see. I'm going to have a glorified body. You're going to be going, that dude can dance. I tell you, (laughs) God is going to give me the desires of my heart. And I'm going to be cutting the carpet for the glory of God. But I'm telling you, these lifelines we've been talking about, anybody using them, If you are, you're going to see fruit. Like last week, okay. If you weren't here last week, please listen to the podcast. Last week, we talked about how self-indulgence and a lack of self-control will destroy your life and will short-circuit the calling and anointing that God has for you. Because if you can't control you, you're in trouble. How many of you know we are our own worst enemies? And I just want to encourage you, if you're here this morning... And I, you know, as a pastor, I get to hear the good, the bad, and the ugly every week, okay? So I got to hear some bad this week. Sometimes people that have been free from addictions fall flat on their face. So have you, have you ever thought you had victory in a certain area, only to find out that you're not as strong as you thought? Now, what is, what's the devil's goal in tripping you up and causing you to fall flat on your face? What is he trying to do? Guilt, shame, you're a loser, quit. God's mad at you, you're never going to amount to anything, oh, you beat yourself up, isn't that the way it normally goes? I want to, I want to put a little twist here. 
Have you ever just thanked your enemy for showing you where you still have weakness? Have you ever just said to Satan, you know what? Thank you so much for reminding me about how desperately I need the Lord. You know what? Thank you so much for that reminder because I'm going to press in this week even more. Thank you for helping me in my walk with God. Have you ever thanked the enemy for pointing out where you're weak? Because, you know, God's not quitting on any of you. But let me just tell you, last week I gave you the most hated lifeline in Christendom. I didn't even, I didn't even name the sermon that because none of you would have showed up. <laughs> you think I'm kidding. I, I'm serious. Nobody likes to fast. We hate to fast. We have taste buds. We love to eat. God made us to eat. That's why he gave us taste buds. We hate to not eat. And remember I shared last week, all it takes is you missing one hamburger and a new creature arises from within the depths. You start being impatient and angry and, oh, you're, what happened? You just missed a hamburger. How pathetic are we? I mean, I'm, I just agree with me. Just nod your head. Because here's the deal. If I can't control my emotions, if I cannot die to my desires, if I can't manage this temple right here, how am I supposed to take ground out there? How am I supposed to help other people get set free? Have any of you went to pray for somebody uh, when you're not at the top of your game and the devil says, oh, yeah, you're going to pray for this person for lust? <clears throat> we know. What's he doing? He's reminding you that you're praying for deliverance in somebody else when you're still a captive yourself. And what does that do to your confidence level? I'm trying to help you all out. We don't have any authority over another situation in somebody else's life if we don't have authority in our own life. If, you, if, if we're not, this is why getting free is so important. Do you know why the devil hates to set addicts free? Because as soon as an addict really gets free, that person is incredibly dangerous and going to be really busy. Does this make sense? But listen, I'm, this, this is as practical as I can get. If you have struggled with addictions, this is what you need to do. Listen, write it down. Fasting needs to be a part of your weekly lifeline. Every week, you fast at least a day. What are you doing? Remember I said in the Greek, it meant giving your flesh a black eye. You're either going to be controlled by God or you're going to be controlled by your flesh. I'm just telling you, I don't want to be controlled by my flesh. I want to be full of the Holy Ghost. So what are we doing? We're pushing away legitimate pleasures for maximum pleasure. We're not going for less. We're going for more. We're making room in me to be a habitation of the presence of God. And I heard, I'm, I'm, first of all, I'm proud of you. I, uh, I heard this week reports people are fasting this week. Anybody that fasted came back to their life group leader and they said this. They were good reports. It was reports like this. You know what? The fog lifted. All of a sudden I had clarity. All of a sudden I read the Bible and things are jumping off the page at me. It's like God is speaking to me again. All of a sudden I was confronted with that sin that pulls me down every single time. And all of a sudden I had instantly I said no. And I walked away. And how many of you know when you walk away 
after saying no to a temptation that has beat you up for years and years and years, when you walk away, there is a sense of strength and passion in your heart. You're like, yes, yes, yes. Anybody know what I'm talking about? I'm telling you, we should build that in. If you're struggling, if just last week you fell flat on your face, I'm telling you, spend a day this week, and don't just push food away, but embrace the Lord. Read, worship, put your headphones on, go in a room where no one's looking, and dance your little heart out before God. I'm telling you, you'll have an encounter with the Lord. You'll sense his presence in your life. And the, the, the reward of the secret place is God. God is the trophy. God is what we're after. So let me just say this. As we're, today, today's message kind of goes hand in hand with where we've come from last week. Because I want to talk to you today not just about um, obe- obeying God, but I want to talk to you about a generous obedience. What do you mean, Pastor, when you talk about a generous obedience? I'm talking about obeying with a smile on your face. Some of us have obeyed God, but it was like he dragged us there kicking and screaming. Anybody know what I'm talking about? I'm going to obey, but it's like you're obeying on the outside, but not on the inside. Anybody know what I'm talking about? This is the kind of obedience that Jesus is after. Obedience with a smile on our faces. And I'm going to build a case today by the grace of God that makes it absolutely logical, airtight, that you should, you should be incredibly excited about obeying the Lord and obeying him quickly, as fast as you can. It's interesting, this word obey in the Greek is actually two compound words that come together, and it literally means to hear under. Now let me go to another lifeline. One of the lifelines we talked about was corporate worship. What you're doing right now is feeding your soul and saving your soul right now, whether you know that or not. That's what's happening. Well, why do we need to come together in church on Sunday? To strengthen you, to hear the word of the Lord, to guard your life from temptations, to surround you with other people so that you're part of a band of brothers and a band of mothers who love each other, all right? That's the goal. You're not meant to do this by yourself. Now, notice, to hear under, what does that mean? If you go to churches in America, you usually see the pulpit is elevated. That's, that's done for a couple of reasons. Obviously, it's visual, so we can see people. Let me tell you one reason why it's not an elevated pulpit. It's not to see moi or any other pastor. That's not why it's elevated. In fact, colonial pulpits, Amy, you can attest to this out in the Williamsburg area. You come to a colonial pulpit, and yeah, there's a staircase going up, and I kid you not, the pulpit in, in the 1700s was like up there. People, people came to church like this. I mean, you get a crick in your neck by the end of service. Why did they put the, put the pastor up in the belfry? Check this out. Because you came to sit under the word of the Lord. To hear the Lord and to obey the Lord. How many of you know hearing by itself is worthless? If we're not quick to do what God says, there's no point in it. And so here's, here's the deal. The first place that you need to be generous with God, sometimes you hear the word generous and everybody starts grabbing their wallet. Relax, I'm not talking about money. I'm not talking about money. The first place you need to be generous is in the secret place with God. Because check this out. Remember we said last week, there are some people that are religious to the max. They dress it, they look it, they serve, they, they do their thing, they drop their dollar in the offering plate, they're good with God. 
But we said last week, it's not about what happens on the outside. It's the transformation of the heart on the inside. How many of you know some people say, you know, my, I, I, you ask them, are you going to go to heaven? And they say something like this, well, I hope so. Well, why do you hope so? Well, I'm trying to be a good person. Well, what does that mean? It means that they're, they serve, they give. When the kid's out there with the bucket, and they drop some money in. When the, when the cheerleading squad's doing the car washes, they pull over and they get their car washed. Listen to me. From one particular level, from a God-centered level, all of our works that are not ish, initiated by God and done for His glory are filthy rags. We look at a, a, a rich person, a wealthy person who writes a check to whatever thing is and they go, oh, that person is so generous. But if they wrote the check apart from God's instruction and apart from the glory of God, listen to me, God says it's a stench in his nostrils. He is unimpressed because all it is is that person demonstrating their goodness, not his righteousness. Do you understand? You cannot even be obedient until you hear God say something. Obedience means God has spoken. God is the initiator. I respond. God has said something. I obey. If you spend no time with God, if you spend no time in prayer, if you spend no time in the Word, then God's not initiating anything in your life. You are. Does this make sense? I hope it, I hope it jerks our chain a little bit. Because sometimes we like to get out ahead of the Lord. And we like to do things that we think he's wanting us to do, but he hasn't instructed us to do it. We need to hear under the Lord. Now turn with me to 1 Samuel chapter 15. I want to talk initially here about the curse of a self-indulgent life because we hit this last week. 1 Samuel 15, and I'm not going to go through the whole thing, but this is that famous passage where God was getting ready to judge the Amalekites who were wicked uh, against Israel, his people. And God told Samuel to go deliver a word to King Saul. And the word was this, wipe them all out and don't take anything. It all, God's basically saying, it all belongs to me. Don't touch anything. Wipe it all out. And you know the story. Did Saul obey the Lord? No. We're going to see where he failed. But I want you to see this from God's perspective because that passage in all of Scripture establishes something about the heart of God. God says this through Samuel. He says, you know what, Saul, God's not impressed with all your activity because you didn't fully obey what God said. God's, you know, he says, we're, we got all these animals and stuff. Well, yeah, we're going to sacrifice them to you, Lord. And you remember what God said. I am not impressed with your sacrifices. What I'm looking for is your obedience to me. I just want to tell you, every one of this, the, the lifelines we talked about are worthless apart from obedience. And not just any obedience, a generous obedience. Look at what happened with Saul. This is what God said. Uh, in, uh, this is uh, 1 Samuel 15, 23. Rebellion is as sinful as witchcraft and stubbornness as bad as worshiping idols. Can we just pause right here? Does God have a high regard for witches in the Bible? What was the commandment for those caught to be involved in sorcery. They were stoned, which meant they were, people threw stones at them until they were completely dead and buried. How many of you get the idea from that, that on the good-bad scale? That's bad. You don't want to do that. God says this, if there's rebellion in our hearts towards legitimate authority, first of all, his authority, 
towards governmental authority, towards ecclesiastical authority, church authority, towards family authority, towards parents, towards authority at schools, authorities in the marketplace where you work. If there is outright rebellion in your heart, or some people, we don't like to call it rebellion. That sounds too strong. I just say, well, I'm just stubborn. You know, I'm German. We're just stubborn. <laughs> or I'm Italian. Or you blame, you blame your, you your great-great-grandpa for why you're living in sin. That's terrible. You're blaming your history, your family. I'm just stubborn. You wear it like a badge of honor. God says you're an idolater. God says you're a witch. I mean, I'm just trying to let this sink. How do you know anybody with a brain here this morning does not want to have God speak over you? You're rebellious. You're stubborn. In fact, remember that passage in the Bible is like, God basically says, why in the world do I have to put a bridle in you and a bit in your mouth and drag you around like you're a stubborn mule? Talking about Israel. This is not good. God's looking for a joyful, generous obedience from our lives. But I want to show you three areas where we stumble. First area is found in 1 Samuel 15, 24. Just follow along on the screen because I'm going to go through these quickly. The first disobedience is a, actually is a result of misplaced fear. And I want you to read with me verse 24. It says, Then Samuel, Saul admitted to Samuel, Yes, I have sinned. I have disobeyed your instructions and the Lord's commands. But here's the reason why. I was afraid of the people, and I did what they demanded. We like to tell our teenagers, Hey, don't have peer pressure. Don't have peer pressure. Peer pressure does never, never stops because you get older. Can I get an amen on that one? We're still walking around trying to please the people around us. We still want to make our neighbors think we're cool. We still want to drive the right car. We want to live in the right house. We want to have the right stuff. We want to be cool at work. We don't ever want to be too radical in our faith. We don't want to stir the pot. We don't want to challenge things, Jeff. We don't want to mess up with the status quo by standing up for truth and mentioning truth in the public place because at the end of the day, listen, if you're more fearful of people than you are God, you will be tripped up and you'll fall flat on your face. That's the curse of disobedience. You're more concerned with what people think of you than what God thinks of you. You know, Sarah, the first lesson you can learn as a pastor is if you spend your ministry worrying about what everybody's opinion is of you, you will absolutely miss the call of God. The first thing God says, if you're going to be a pastor, you have to fear me and let the rest of the people, let let me deal with the rest of the people. This is not, saints, this is not a popularity contest. We please one person. I don't care if you could have seen the vision of me dancing. I don't care if you like it. God likes it. God likes it. Second thing that disobedience reveals is a faith in counterfeit pleasure. Look at verse 19. Why haven't you obeyed the Lord? Why did you rush for the plunder and do what was evil in the Lord's sight? This passage, it's amazing. The same language is used when the children of Israel um, won a battle. And the Bible says that the people all went after the livestock and killed the livestock. And the picture in the Bible is they were so gluttonous and so ravenous, they were eating the flesh without even cooking it. It's a sign of like, barbarians. It's a sign of people totally driven by their bellies, totally driven by their passions. When 
that when the enemy, or, or when Saul and his armies came in and defeated the enemy, they looked around, and here's what happened. They threw away the garbage, and they kept the best stuff for themselves. God said, destroy it all. But here's what religious says. Oh, let's not destroy that. God might have a good use for it. Let's just keep it for the Lord. They weren't keeping it for the Lord. They were keeping it for themselves because they loved they loved the pleasure in this world and in this world's systems more than they loved God as their reward. I mean, you know, God's desire was to bring them into a land of abundant blessing. And there's no need to be a, a, a stingy, greedy person when there's so much around. When there's more than you need. Why are you lusting after this when God promises you everything in Him? And we got people today. I mean, I don't, have to, I don't have to be creative here. There are people that, that, that your, your, your pleasure is in the idol of your career, and you're going to climb, 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 climb. What happens when you get to the top, and it's the wrong thing you've been climbing, you're empty at the top? What happens when you finally realize the money you thought was going to satisfy you is never enough? What happens when you're after that high? If I could just have that next high. But it's never just one more higher. It's got to be the next one and the next one because you're never satisfied. The alcohol that you think you can respectfully drink socially that eventually creeps into your life and becomes a subtle form of pleasure instead of finding pleasure in God. It just takes the edge off. I thought God's supposed to take the edge off of your life. But no, we... we we find all these counterfeit things, and God's saying, what are you doing? Do you really believe that pleasure is found in God himself? Maximum pleasure in God. Lasting pleasure in God. Do we believe that? If you don't, you will constantly be sucked back into disobedient patterns in your life. And eventually, the sad thing about counterfeit idols is they end up taking control. We end up becoming a stronghold of demons in our own heart. Verse 12 highlights another problem with disobedience and that it magnifies misplaced praise. Do you know what happened? I want to show you this as a highlight. After this major victory when Paul and the, or I'm sorry, when Saul and the armies win the war, um, the next morning Samuel goes out because God's spoken to Samuel. He goes out to find Saul. He can't find him. He's gone. Let's find out where he was. Check out this verse. Early the next morning, Samuel went to find Saul. Someone told him, oh, Saul went to the town of Carmel to set up a monument to himself. Saul said, basically, after winning that battle, <laughs> hey, I need, I need a statue in this town to remind everybody about how great I am. I, you know, the problem is misplaced praise. And I just want to tell you this. If I, said, if I said, you know what, the biggest sin we all deal with is pride, some of you would be saying, I'm not prideful, I'm, I'm a humble person. Um, but the problem with pride is it doesn't look like we think. It's not the snotty little kid running around with a big head, you know, irritating everybody. They're like, that kid is so stuck on it. No, that's not, that's not the pride we're talking about. We're talking about self-sufficiency. We're talking about not really truly making Jesus the centerpiece of everything. Oh, we go to church. Oh, we show up where we're supposed to every now and then. We punch it. But, but at the end of the day, who's really in charge of your life? I want to ask you this question. Who's really calling the shots in your life? It's a good question, isn't it? 
Who's making the decisions? And who's the center of your life? I just got to give you a little secret today. One of the most liberating moments is when you get out of the center of the universe. And I get out of the center. I'm not preaching to you. I'm preaching at you through me because I'm hearing the same thing. Are you? <laughs> Every time I do that, remember, there's three of those. And the reason I'm such an expert on this is because I have a lot of experience. So don't anybody think I'm getting hard on you. I'm actually trying to help us get free. The beautiful thing about Jesus is Jesus came to model a God-pleasing life. I shared with you before, don't ever put yourself as the center of Jesus' mission. Why did Jesus come? For me. No. Jesus came for his Father. Jesus came because his Father sent him on a mission. Everything Jesus did throughout his entire life, he did with one goal in mind, to joyfully, generously obey Dad. If Jesus had disobeyed Dad one time, we're dead in our sins. Check this out, just to convince you all. Psalm 40, a prophetic psalm. Talking about the obedience of Jesus. You take no delight in sacrifices or offerings now that you have made me listen, I finally understand. You, you don't require burnt offerings like Saul was trying to offer. You don't require burnt offerings or sin offerings. Then I said, I have come as it is written about me in the scriptures. This is talking about Jesus. I take joy in doing your will, my God, for your instructions are written on my heart. Jesus modeled joy with a smile on his face. Even joy that took him to the cross. For the joy set before me, he endured the cross. Now let me ask you a question. How many of you in this room today would say, Pastor, I am born again. I belong to Jesus Christ. I've given my life to him. Get your hand up. I want to see your hand. All right? You've given your life to Jesus. I'm going to ask you another question. Biblically speaking, how do you know that what you think you did was real? How do you know that what you say happened to you actually took root and became established in your heart? How do you know? Let me show you how you know. Look at the next verse up there. The one before that one. Okay, I guess there isn't one before that one. All right, I'm going to look at my notes. I'm sorry, the one after that one. That's what I meant. The one after that one. Keep going. There we go. That's the one. Read with me. He died for everyone so that those who receive his new life will no longer live for themselves. Instead, they will live for Christ who died and was raised for them. Let me ask the question again. How do you know that you're truly born again? I no longer live for me. When, when Charlie in a low spot, calls up Amara. How many of you know when you're considering taking your life or you're so depressed you can't go on, you're not really questioning if it was a holiday or not? Because you don't know what day it is, and frankly, you don't care because your life's miserable. But when somebody who's already died and he's no longer living for himself gets a phone call 
on Christmas, somebody realized it's not about me. Lord, thank you for the privilege of sending me this assignment right now so that I can go love this person. Because it's not about me. I've been purchased. My life's different. I don't live for the selfish things I used to live for. In fact, I'm sick of living for me. How did that work? It didn't work so good. I want to live for you. I want to know you. I want to be involved in something that matters. I want to be involved in something that's eternal. I want to be involved in something where I can love people. I want to be involved where the person you made me to be can find expression through you. All the gifts you've given me can find expression in touching and loving other people. You know, it's the selfish person that has no time for anybody. It's the selfish person that only allows God's stuff to come mess up their lives. and They, they, they only have a certain you know, walls or certain time slots. You know, it's the selfish person that when pastor preaches it's too long, uh, they're out of here. Why? The bears are on. Who cares? They're losers. <laughs> We're not in New England where there'd be serious temptation. You know what I'm talking about. My point is this. When, when do we get conquered by the Lord? Now, I want Lori and Dave to come up here, and I, wanna, I want them to share something with you. And, and, and as they come up here, I'm going to say it again because I don't want anybody walking out of here with the typical garbage about churches and pastors. All they care about is money. This testimony is nothing about money. This testimony is about a heart that is generous toward God in obeying Y'all understand me, making sure we're, we're understanding here. This is a powerful story about a radically generous, obedient heart. That's what it is. It was a year ago, on this very day, a year ago, we were casting vision. I've been, I was preaching the I-54 vision series. How many of you were here a year ago, all right? It was a great series because it came from the Bible, and the Bible is great. And I preached that Sunday about David and about David's radical heart. The Bible says David personally for the building of the temple, which we now know is Solomon's temple, the building of the temple, David personally gave two tons of gold. I did the math. Two tons of gold today would be about $2 billion. David gave personally two billion dollars for the building of the church and he did it with a smile on his face right before then we had i guess it was shortly i don't know it doesn't matter when but there was a meeting where somebody was sharing came in and shared a vision about the campaign and what was going on and he told an amazing story about a woman who god was dealing with her about what he called a security blanket and this is what good hearts these folks if you know dave and Lori, these are some good hearts right here Lori's listening to that, and when that man told the story about how God was messing with this security blanket that this woman had, um, instantly the Lord spoke to her about a security blanket that she and David had. Or maybe you speak for yourself. Maybe it was your security blanket. But talk about what that blanket was real quickly. Well, <clears throat> is this on? It's on. Um, when the I-54 campaign began, Pastor just asked all of us, to just pray and allow God to reveal to us 
what he wanted us to give. In our hearts are God, whatever you want, that's what we want to give. So we were at this banquet, and this, the man was talking about this lady that had a security blanket, and God had asked, do you trust me with your security blanket? Yeah, we're not talking about a physical blanket. No. It was money, it was stocks, it was bonds or something. It was her security, though. So for us, I knew exactly what that meant, um, and it involved our retirement plan. And our retirement plan didn't involve any bank accounts because we didn't have any. It didn't involve the two retirement accounts because none of our jobs gave us one. So we invented our own, and it was to have a house paid for, which we had a house paid for, which, you know, no debt, we had no debt, and good health. So we had all three. And that way, if you said if something ever happened to David. If something ever happened to David, I can make it. Okay. And so when the guy was talking about the security blanket, God had said, am I your security or is your house your security? And he said, if I'm your security, can I have this house? Wow. That's kind of bold of God. Oh, he's God. That's right. Okay, nothing's bold of God. David, you're coming home, and, and this is what I love your heart. I'm driving. I'm a truck driver. So you're coming home, and here's, this is a good heart. David doesn't have $2 billion in gold to, to give. Does anybody else have that problem? Okay, good. <laughs> but, this, but here's a good heart. A, good, a bad heart leaves the church that day saying, oh, pastor's talking about giving money to the building project. That's all money, money, money. That's not what it was about at all. A good heart says this, Lord, what is my two tons of gold to give? How many of you know that heart, talking to that God, wanting to be a blessing, that touches the heart of God? What did God tell you? Well, just uh, the, when you talk about David, my name is David, so I took that to heart too. <coughs> but, you know, rising up, David said, you know, and uh, every time I hear it, I feel like there's tears out there. And, uh, I said, God, what? I loved your motivation. This morning, David had all of his grandkids sitting next to him on his row. And talk about legacy, because that was burning in your heart. I just want to leave legacy with my grandkids, you know. Because if you can't minister there, you can't minister at home. They got to see God, you know. And uh, I said, God, I'm going to go by faith, because you love me so much. Okay, so you... So you got this word, but you're still processing it. How many of you know when you get a word like that, you process it? God, was that really you? And we need, we need confirmation. So Lori, if you know Lori, Lori's an amazing writer, and she, she journals. And she wrote this whole journey out on what God was saying and speaking. But right after that, you guys were in church, and I was preaching from that passage where Peter was whining to Jesus, saying, Jesus, we've given all to follow you. And Jesus said this, there's nobody who's given lands and houses who will not be repaid. Remember that passage? Now, how many of you know when God just told you, give your house, and then the next week or whatever, the pastor reads from that verse, you're kind of attuned to that word houses. So what did you guys do? This is radical. At, this is what I'm talking about, generous obedience. After church that Sunday, when they hear the word of the Lord, they know that it's confirmation. Where did you guys go on the way home? You go to Walmart, folks. You go to Walmart. 
What did you get at Walmart? They bought a for sale sign. Listen, when God confirms something radical, you go to Walmart and buy a sign. And you put it in your yard. You see how this works? This is faith-filled, joyful, generous, smile on your face, go to Walmart, buy a sign, put it in your yard, obey God kind of faith. That's what they did. And then you expected someone to come sweeping in with a big check, but it took two months, four months? Okay, two months. Not a single person looked at their home for two months. Now it's going to get weird, all right? That Sunday, two months later, it was our groundbreaking Sunday. You remember, I was operating a piece of heavy equipment, one of the highlights of my life. I felt so manly that <laughs> I, it was like powerless. Just, I had a little joystick. It was awesome. I did good. I did. I, I was kind of proud of myself. All right, anyway. Um, they grabbed a handful of dirt from the church, and they took it home with them. Why would you do that? What happened? What are you doing? We took the dirt and we put it in our, in our property and dug a hole, dug it in there, and we had communion. Okay. Okay. Now, for those of you that are new to Walmart signs, giving your house away, okay, I'm going to help you out. They took dirt. It was a prophetic act. They took it to their property, which God was saying was his property, which they want, God wanted them to give the proceeds. They put the dirt in a hole on their property. They gathered around the hole, and they took communion. What is communion? It's a reminder that you're in covenant with God, and that God is in charge, and that you're being obedient. And whether the neighbors understood, whether anybody understood, uh, they understood, and they made covenant with God. The house sold that next week. You got the full price of the house. But here, this is what I'm talking about, lavish, okay? Some people think obedience is slavish. No, it's lavish. Drop the S. It's obedience with a smile. It's obedience that says, I want to bless people. Dave and Lori, that, that, that uh, house was full of new furniture, the first new furniture you had ever had in your life. Four rooms full. This is what came out of their heart. We want to bless the new owner of this place with all the furniture. And then it gets better because Dave and, Moore, Dave and Lori moved into that place to care for David's mother as she was in her later days. They, they wanted to serve the mother. Boy, this sounds, this sounds really biblical. I don't know. This is weird. Okay, so they wanted to serve the mother, and then the mother passed away, and so what was in their hearts was this. We don't want just anybody to have this. We want somebody to have this place, a, a son or daughter caring for an aging parent. Guess who shows up? A daughter and her aging mother. Now let me just say something. The church, not just the world, the church is so full of cynical people Cynics, critics, they're a dime a dozen. People that naysay, why did you do that? Well, that doesn't make any sense. Listen to me. At the end of the day, I'll tell you who it makes sense to. It makes sense to Jesus. 
And I'll tell you about a Savior who stood in a bustling temple full of people, full of Pharisees, full of religious people. And it's not the amount of the money, it's the heart behind it because Jesus stopped everybody, said to his disciples, look at that woman! What woman? It would have been somebody that nobody would have even paid attention to. She was a little poor old lady that had nothing. She was dirt poor, as we like to say. She had two little mites that weren't worth a nickel. But Jesus knew that what she was giving amounted to everything that she had. And God Almighty, Jesus Christ, the Son of God, stops all the religious activity and points that woman out and honors her. Listen to me. Radical, extravagant acts of affection stop heaven and cause all the angelic hosts to Jesus saying, look at that. Look at that person. He's not stopping for cynics. He's not stopping for critics. He's not stopping for naysayers. He's stopping for generous, radical, joyful lovers of him that catch his heart when he sees radical affection like that. And I want to show you, Rachel, go up to that, go up to the rest of the verse in Hebrews 10. We're running out of time. You guys are talking way too much. Hebrews chapter 10. Rachel, did you hear me? Thank you, dear. I didn't see your face, so I didn't know if you heard me. Look at this. Think back on those early days when you first learned about Christ. Remember how you remained faithful, even though it meant terrible suffering. For these people to say yes to Jesus cost them a lot. They're saying, remember those early days. Look at the next chapter here, next verse. Sometimes you were exposed to public ridicule. Sometimes you were beaten. Sometimes you helped others who were suffering the same things you were. Keep rolling. You suffered along with those who were thrown in jail. When all you owned was taken from you, you accepted it with joy. You knew there were better things waiting for you, things that will last forever. Next verse. So don't throw away your confident trust in the Lord. Remember the great reward that it brings you. Let me just tell you something. If I, had, if I kept all the letters I received from naysayers and critics, let me just tell you how I know those people because they don't sign their name. They puke on you and then they don't say who just did it. If I had a nickel for every one of those people, the building would be paid off. But when I come in and these folks have on my desk this journey and a check for the entire amount of their home, Oh, and let me just not stop there. Individual thank you notes to every pastor that serves here and every elder that serves here with a personal check saying thank you for the investment of your lives. You know what my response was? I cried like a baby. I cried like a baby. I can't imagine what Jesus' response is when he sees extravagant, radical affection demonstrated in terms of not just obeying at the lowest level with no joy, but obeying at an extravagant level that most Christians don't even understand. That most Christians scratch their head. Those people are weird. No, those people are delightfully abnormal. They're not weird. There's a difference. They're abnormal. 
abnormal means they're a, they're a cut above. And I want you to join your hearts with me because here's the deal. You know, I told you uh, when Coralie gave me that Bible, every, every time I open my Bible, I think of Coralie. Every time I put my noise-canceling headphones on, I think of my brother and sister. Uh, I, whenever I use something somebody blessed me with, it brings to remembrance that person. Do you want to go to your grave and have thousands of people coming telling stories about what an incredible person you were? Invest generously in love people. Give. Whenever I speak somewhere, I bring something to give to the host to invest in his or her life. I write something on the inside that I hope is prophetic and encouraging because every time they open that book, I want them to remember me and how much I love them. Does this make sense? This is what I'm asking you this morning in light of all that we've talked about. I'm going to bring it down to, to earth, all right? And worship team, get on up there if you will because we're going we're gonna to walk out of here worshiping today. If, if Kenny is a pastor in a foreign country, like say Pakistan, and we're all there, we're his brothers and sisters, and he's beaten and his house is burned down, he's thrown in jail, in those days, the only way Kenny gets food is if somebody from the family or one of his friends comes and feeds him. Otherwise, he's starving to death. So now the early church has a decision to make. Do we pretend like we don't know Kenny exists or do we identify with Kenny's suffering? So you know what happened? Say I was Kenny's friend. I bring Kenny food. Hey, everybody here in the prison, where's Kenny? I need to meet with Kenny. Oh, you're Kenny's friend. Well, I'm bringing Kenny food. I guess what's happened? They're sending people out to burn my house down. Imagine going home to your house and seeing nothing but ashes and smoke and, and, uh, and fire and everything that you own is gone. That's what, that's what Christians around the world in many places are dealing with. Can you imagine being a mom or dad with a family, I think of my eight children, when ISIS was doing all the demonic, wicked things ISIS was doing? Can you imagine, as, some, as sometimes happened, where those barbaric, demonized people come up to the head of the family and say, look, look sir, you're either going to convert to Islam and have all of your family follow you, or we're going to systematically rape and kill and destroy your family in front of your eyes. What do you do? You know what? You go to Hebrews 10, and you begin to encourage your family, and you say, look, this is not the end. This is the beginning. We're just getting ready to get a greater reward. Don't you dare turn your back on the Lord Jesus Christ. Don't you dare give up on the Lord because it's never less with God. It's always more with God and there is no true sacrifice in following the Lord because God always promises to supersize whatever it is that he asks you to give up, not only in this life but in the life to come. That's why Christians around the world are willingly murdered and slaughtered and have everything taken away from them. Listen, because in their hearts, what they're offering Jesus is a generous obedience of their lives, which means nothing is off the table. And that's what I'm asking you today, is as we close out this service, we're just going to worship. Marriage class, four o'clock. Give these guys a hand. I love you guys. I'm proud of you. I love you, David. It's also David's 60th birthday. He's looking good for 60. Here, here, here's what I want to do as we leave. Is there anybody here today that maybe has never given their life to Jesus Christ? It's the greatest deal you'll ever receive in your life. There might be somebody here that doesn't know the Lord. We're inviting you. Come on up here and, and let somebody introduce you to Christ this morning. But here's, this isn't so much for maybe somebody here that doesn't know the Lord. This is for us as 
I just believe with all my heart, God wants to capture us in such a way that what is too hard when he asks us to do something? What, what is too hard for us to simply say yes and say yes with a smile on our faces? To give the full affection of our hearts to the Lord. To truly get yourself out of the center if maybe you slid back and give your life to God. There might be some people in here that are fighting with addiction. How do you get free? Give the Lord your mess. Give the Lord your heart. Be, be serious about committing yourself to him. And then begin to go after him this week. What are those safety blankets, security blankets that are maybe in your life? Ask the Lord. You, don't, you probably don't even have to ask him. He's probably talking to you already because he loves you so much. I want you to stand to your feet with me. And again, if you need to slip out, if you need to go get kids, you go do that right now. I'm not trying to keep anybody here. You're, you're blessed. We love you. See you at 4 o'clock for marriage class if you can make it. Come back tonight for Sarah and Vanessa. But here's what's happening. The altars are swung wide open as a place where people can do business with God. And my heart cry as your pastor is just that there would be some fresh affection, areas where you've been sloppy in your obedience or you've been pockets of rebellion in your heart or stubbornness, that you would be willing to say, Jesus, take my life and Lord, forgive me, that there would be lots of repentance this morning and we would freely give ourselves to Jesus with a smile on our face. So let's sing this song as an act of worship. But if you need to come and do some business, the altars are open right now.